This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and once again joined across the way by my man, Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, week two of the college football season in the books. We're recording this right as the Monday night football game, Jets vs. Bills, is set to kick off shortly to conclude week one of the NFL season. Lots to talk about. How are you doing this evening? I mean, there's nothing like the real thing, right? Um, yeah, it's it's the normal life. It's things going crazy. I know you and I, separate coasts, trying to coordinate the schedules around <laughs> dinner, bedtime, nap time, bath time, and you know, I think we found a window um, to really talk about, you know, a real exciting, you know, first week, you know, setting the stage from the college side, you know, there was um, the game of the week. I think everyone is going to be talking about, you know, but in general, it was um, heavily favored teams playing and it was tons of, you know, high statistical performances you know, from stars across the league, but it was really hard to find, you know, players who who performed at, you know, NFL elite levels against high difficulty um, competition as well. So, you know, that sets the table for you to go ahead and announce the first string team of the week for week two of the college football season. Yeah, I think you set the stage perfectly. There, so let's get right into it. The yes to ask first string team of the week is started out with quarterback Quinn Ewers out of Texas. The big upset by Texas over Alabama, 34-24 on the road. He was 24 of 38, 349 yards and three touchdowns. The first string running back of the week was Trey Benson out of Florida State. Florida State had a big win over Southern Mississippi, 66-13. Benson wasn't asked to do a lot, but he had nine carries, 79 yards, three touchdowns. Also chipped in for one catch for 21 yards, showing some versatility. At the wide receiver position, first string of the week, back to that Texas game, Adani Mitchell, the former big-time Georgia recruit, now with Texas. He had three catches, 78 yards, and two touchdowns. And then staying in that game, first string tight end of the week, Jatavian Sanders out of Texas, five catches, 114 yards, heavy longhorn tier in the first string team of the week. Jeff, any thoughts on the Ewers? Mitchell, Sanders, you know, trio in helping them pull that big upset over Alabama this past weekend. Yeah, I mean, this made it easy for me too, right? Again, finding um, high performers against high levels of competition this week was a little bit harder, but you just, it wasn't that hard because all you had to do was look at Texas, Alabama headlining the slate of the weekend. And, you know, what a win for Texas, first of all, right? So, you know, I, I don't think this is the, you know, the Alabama that we've, you know, of the previous decade here, we, you know, this is, you know, but this is Texas's back, I think is the the thing that trends out on uh, Twitter or X these days. Um, and, and I think this really showed it. Um, maybe I'll kind of start bullet by bullet. Quinn Ewers, he looked the part of an NFL quarterback. Um, I'd equate a lot of what he did, um, this week, the way he looked and the way he played, similar to how I talked about Michael Penix Jr. last week. Um, this was against Alabama on the big stage in Alabama. So I think that level of difficulty is something that, you know, makes this performance a little bit more impressive. You know, I'd say some of the same things came up. Um, you know, he looked 
really, he looked lethal when he was clean in the pocket. You know, he did get a little bit of pressure, but nothing that was really, anytime he was really threatened with a big hit, that's where you saw the mistakes come in. You know, he's, he kind of played like he has that Caleb Williams off platform, you know, sort of playmaker ability, you know, different arm angles, you know, not having his feet set well. And, you know, that, that part of his game hasn't developed, um, you know, as a, as a really successful tool yet. Um, don't, not saying that it can't, but, um, he was so much better when he kept his feet underneath them, kept them set, climbed the pocket, you know, use his athleticism while keeping a stable base and then delivering really accurate passes, which is, um, the, the inaccuracy came with the off platform throws, the sidearm mingles. Um, but the accuracy with, with a good platform when he was well protected is something that I think is a huge element of growth that we saw in his game this year, as opposed to when he was starting some games last year. So I think that's first and foremost, my biggest takeaway is that, you know, we're seeing, you know, some real NFL level uh, throws and accuracy. I think there's some consistency that we'd like to look for it. I think we'd like to look for it in the more difficult situations when you're under pressure. Um, but this is, you know, a great start. Do you have anything for Quinn Ewers before we get to the pass catchers? Yeah, real quick. I did, you know, listen, when we did the, the, the quarterback preview show, I said I, I already had him locked in as a guy who I thought was going to be a first-round quarterback. But that was assuming some growth, some development. And now, like, you know, listen, you're going to hear words like toolsy and that with Quinn Ewers. That's a lock. And, and you know, there are some people saying out there, like, toolsy, like a Zach Wilson. But the thing that right off the bat, I think, starts to separate those two caliber prospects, that this is not the second time. I know last year he got hurt in that Alabama game. But he, I think Texas wins that game last year, too, if Quinn Ewers stay, doesn't get injured in that game. And he started out really impressive, cool, calm, and collected in that game. And now he does it for the whole game against Alabama. So we're, there's that film against, you know, listen, maybe Alabama's not as good as, as what we're accustomed to, but they're still one of the best teams in the country, still obviously one of the best coach teams in the country, and they have more five-star recruits than any other team in the country, maybe not named Georgia, or right up there with them. So for yours to do this performance on the road, I think speaks volumes of it, that it's why, unless like he really falters or shows something, I just think that the traits and the tools that he possesses, and now having this caliber game on his resume... I think speaks volumes on it. It's, it's going to be hard for me to not look at this guy and think the NFL is going to think he's a first-round pick and maybe potentially a high first-round pick, top 10, top 15. I, I really came away impressed with Quinn Ewers. You know, that first game, you know, he had those glimpses of, of high-level plays and then some questionable plays. I, I He cleaned that up a little bit. We saw more high-level plays and questionable plays in this one. Still room to grow, but but this was a big step in becoming that guy that I think something could be a top 10 or top 15 pick in the 2024 NFL draft. Exactly. And, you know, again, you mentioned alluded to last year, he did, um, you know, he did have a great start up against Alabama and some of the questions we saw in his game came in some of the, the, the games he played after that Alabama game, maybe he was hurt, but again, like some of that inconsistency, it's going to have to go throughout the season, not just game to game, you know, and then, you know, his success is Adonai Mitchell, is Jatavian Sanders' success. I mean, Xavier Worthy had a great game as well. Um, but with two touchdowns, I think Adonai Mitchell gets the nod. Um, you know, quick things that jumped out to me was just the playmaking ability, his ability to high point the ball, 
um, just be, be a weapon down the field. But I don't know if if you had any more detailed or nuanced takeaways from that game. Yeah, I mean, Donnie Mitchell, you know, he was a guy when I talked about him in the wide receiver show, I think he was in like 15-ish range. But I talked about him as a guy that had upward mobility is, is probably as great as any running uh, wide receiver in my rankings. Because we're talking about a former big-time recruit, you know, pro football focus. I respect the guys over there, you know. Uh, they had him in their top five, so they saw they saw something about this kid as, as an intriguing prospect. And I think it's the, for me, it's the ball skills and the body control. And and you talked about it, and we saw it on, on some of those big plays that he made this past weekend. You know, if, if he continues to string this together, this is a guy who can go from what I thought was more of like a day two type guy, or maybe a round three, early round four guy, and catapult himself maybe into a top fifty pick uh, because he, he possesses that talent. And then Javian Sanders. You know, listen, Brock Bowers is going to be tight end one in this class. I think that's pretty much locked in. But Jatavian Sanders is probably going to be locked in as tight end two. And I think he could be on that border late one, early two. He's an explosive, playmaking tight end, really good athleticism, good ball skills, could be a productive receiver at the next level and a mismatch X factor. We just saw four tight ends go in the top 50. I think Jatavian Sanders' ceiling could be the higher of a Michael Mayer when you're talking about his pass catching ability. It could be higher than a Sam Laporta. It could be higher than a Luke Musgrave. And if not higher than those guys, he's definitely in the neighborhood of those guys. So I think you're talking about a guy who could be in that top 50 mix for sure. Yeah, one of my favorite, you know, tight ends growing up a 49ers fan, never seen him really break out with us. But then, you know, having a heyday in uh, Tennessee for a little bit was uh, Delaney Walker. You see a little bit of Delaney Walker and Jatavian Sanders on the field this last weekend. You know, I think it's safe to say Brock Bowers is going first overall. We're talking about, you know, a prospect on the level of a Kyle Pitts level hype. You know, Kyle Pitts went in the top five. I don't think it's that crazy to entertain a notion that in 10 months, nine months, wherever it is that for the NFL draft now, that we don't see those two names called too far apart from one another like I don't know if Brock Bowers is going to be taken in the top five he might be a top 20 pick I don't know that Jatavian Sanders would necessarily fall too far out of the top 20 with the um, the athletic playmaker that he is we go into you know the tight ends is the one that I I find the hardest to evaluate (laughs) because we come in and we have these certainties that Michael Mayer is the highlight name of this class and I think he was fourth tight end taken in the draft uh, last year third fourth you know there were a lot there was a lot of excitement for other players and so we always walk into this like locked and loaded with with this one idea and the landscape for tight ends really shifts and even if it doesn't shift for you know the college football season and lead up into the NFL draft you know we're seeing it with Kyle Pitts right now the landscape certainly shifts in the NFL as well and so that's going to be, you know, just a fascinating storyline to come to when it comes down to when rookie drafts happen, you know, 10 months from now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, since I think you're right. And I think in the fantasy landscape, they're going to be real close potentially uh, in, in draft equity when you're talking like those rookie drafts. And then Trey Benson, you know, listen, we said it was, it was, it, there wasn't a lot of high end performances against high level opponents, especially the running back position. I feel like it's been a very slow start to the year for the, for the top talented running backs. Uh, we talked about Trey Benson a little bit last week, not really getting going too much, but showing some glimpses. Listen, he only had 10 touches this week, but over 100 yards, you know, three touchdowns. I, that body, that contact balance, 
uh, the ability to break tackles, the quick feet for a man his size. I know we started out a little bit this week, so I just wanted to kind of give the nod to him uh, without any high-level running back statistical performances this week that really stood out. Uh, Benson is obviously, you know, a favorite of mine and Jeff as well. Let me take this right to the second string team of the week at the quarterback position was Tyler Van Dyke out of Miami. Big win by the Hurricanes, 48-33 over Texas A&M. He broke 374 yards and five touchdowns, showing glimpses of what last year made some people think that he was potentially a round one quarterback prospect. At the running back position, it was Devin Neal out of Kansas. Kansas beat Illinois this past week, 34-23. Devin Neal really off to a strong start the first couple weeks of the season. He had 10 carries for 120 yards and a touchdown this past week. Four catches for 47 yards. Uh, The 5'11", 215-pound back off to a really impressive performance. Troy Franklin uh, of Oregon at the wide receiver position for second-string team of the week. They beat Texas Tech this past week. He went for 6-1-0-3 and a touchdown. Explosive playmaker. And then Michael Trigg out of Ole Miss, definitely a Debbie Darling. Uh, Ole Miss got the W this week. He only had one catch for 21 yards and a touchdown. Week one, he had three catches for 44 yards. A lot of people thought that Kanan Priestcorn was going to be the, the lead guy this year, but right now he's been out with an injury, and Michael Trigge stepped up and made some plays over the first couple of weeks there for Ole Miss. From the second string team of the week, you know, Jeff, for me what really stands out is Tyler Van Dyke because this is a guy last year as a redshirt sophomore, there was a lot of talk that this was, this was a guy that was in early 2023 mock drafts. And then, you know, the season really kind of spiraled last year, and, he showed a lot of inconsistencies, but we're talking about like the prototype from the size, you know, height, weight, frame, stature, great arm talent. Uh, so this was a big time performance, I think, to kind of put himself back in the mix and on the radar a little bit, you know, because he does. He's not a guy who's going to do a lot with his legs, but he can move around a little bit. But the athletic, but the arm talent and the size and the frame, uh, this was what showed glimpses of why he was such so highly regarded last year. Uh, that was the one that kind of stood out the most. We know Troy Franklin is, is an explosive playmaker. Uh, you know, wide receiver position is always a lot of guys who put up good statistical performances. But Texas Tech, you know, that game was at least, that was a close spread. Oregon was only favored to win by four, and they ended up winning by eight. And Franklin made some big plays, showing his explosiveness, vertical slot capabilities, dangerous weapon after the catch, or any type of manufactured touch. I still need to see Troy Franklin add some weight to that six frame every time i watch him i think to myself like this guy's gotta you know drink some protein shanks and and you know whatever but he's got he's got to gain like 10 15 pounds and get to that like 190 195 but he's, he's got explosiveness for days so jeff any thoughts on the second string team guys there either elaborate on franklin or anything else you want to mention yeah i mean i think if we're going to highlight some of these players are going to see their nfl traits and i think troy franklin the you know the speed is really what jumps out you know when he's playing uh, it just looks at a different level than other anybody else on the field. Um, that shows up in his performances last weekend. It's something that I think we'll expect to see week in, week out. Um, Tyler Van Dyke, you know, I don't really know that right now there's that much more to say because we covered him, you know, really well last year. And, and I think we, you know, we saw a performance like this. We said, you know, these traits, you know, the, the traits that he are going to have NFL evaluators taking shot a shot on him you know, really can come together into a performance like this. And then it is just about him having the ability to, you know, we talked about it with Quinn be consistent, right? And, um, you know, sometimes 
it just takes a little bit of time, a little bit of reps and a few games until it clicks. And I think, I don't know if it's a matter of, of when or if, but you know, if it were to hit and just click for Tyler Van Dyke, whether that's this year or even next year, you know, we see something where you can, you know, skyrocket your, you know, draft stock in a, in a, the realm of like a Michael Penix, right? It's, we talked about him last week where everything just seems like it's clicking for him, right? If we see it click for Tyler Van Dyke, I think the ceiling is round one. Yeah, I, I think I think that's what we're talking about. There's a reason why he was projected last year in early mock drafts. You know, that that's not coming from thin air. That's coming from NFL scouts. That's coming from, you know, high-level evaluators and executives that looked at him as a potential round one guy because of those traits. So if he starts to put it together, we, we could see him push his way back up there. Before we take it to the Debbie team of the week, honorable mention again to Shady Sanders. He could easily be either on our first string or second string team of the week. What he continues to do to Colorado uh, this past week, almost 400 yards, two more touchdowns, easy win for Colorado over Nebraska. They were only favored by a couple points, and they blew out Nebraska. He just continues arrow pointing up. He's going to show up on this these SS teams of the week. But as we said from last week when we set the stage, we're going to try to bring new names sometimes, and only if like the performance is just so out of this world We'll put somebody on back-to-back weeks, but we, we kind of want to talk about you know new names each week, and and only if we really feel like we need to bring up the same name again. But Shady Sanders had to at least be mentioned for the performance he put on again this past week. If we take this to the SS Debbie team of the week for week two, quarterback Connor Wegman out of Texas A&M. He was 31 of 53, 336 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, his first two turnovers of the year. They lost 48-33 to Miami. Uh, he did throw uh, five touchdowns in week one. So we're talking about off to a hot start. Wanted to bring him up because there wasn't a, you know, last week we talked about Drew Lahr here. Uh, you know, Connor Wegman is one of the top five-star recruits, one of the top underclassmen quarterbacks in the country. You know, we got Kate Blunick out of Clemson. We got Drew Allar. You know, Wagman is is right there uh, with those two other guys. Is probably the top two Debbie underclassmen quarterbacks uh, or non-draft eligible, I should say. At the running back position, it was Omarion Hampton out of UNC. UNC beat App State forty to thirty-four. He had two hundred and thirty-four yards and three touchdowns. Four-star uh, recruit, six feet, two hundred and twenty pounds. Wide receiver was Evan Stewart out of Texas A and M. Uh, Eleven catches, one hundred and forty-two yards. For the all for the all star performer there out of Texas A and M in Evan Stewart and at the tight end position, listen, it's hard to find non draft eligible underclassmen tight ends that are that are significant in terms of Debbie, but Deuce Robinson now back to back week, so he did kind of break our mold here. Uh, he helped USC comfortably beat Stanford four catches, seventy one yards. That three consecutive weeks now for the freshman tight end who is the number one tight end recruit coming out of the country. Uh, Every week he's made a significant play or more than one for USC. So this is, you know, we're talking about Brock Bowers, right? We're talking about Jatavian Sanders. You know, Deuce Robinson is is on the trajectory to be one of those guys that we're talking about in very high regards, similar to, you know, Jatavian Sanders, similar to Bryson Nesbitt. I'm not going to put the Brock Bowers or anything like that just yet. But, but I think Deuce Robinson's on that trajectory to be one of those guys that we're talking about a lot when he becomes draft eligible based on the pedigree, based on, you know, the the high school star recruit, the athleticism and, and early production here. 
Uh, been very impressed with Deuce Robinson. Jeff, any quick thoughts on the Debbie guys, the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end? To spotlight one name on this list, Amari and Hampton. He's a guy that, you know, really jumped out when I was watching through film last year, especially when, you know, we're, you know, looking up Drake May, we're looking up, uh, um, you know, UNC and Josh Downs last year. Yeah. Yeah. Josh Downs. Um, I think there was like, uh, you know, some running backs, other running back mates there too, that, you know, look good, but uh, you know, Omari and Hampton, um, I think it was just, you know, he was on my Debbie watch list last year. He had, a, he had a really good season last year. I think this is just, you know, his trajectory, you know, pointing up in, um, drastic fashion. Um, that that he's going to very quickly be a name that, you know, climbs the Debbie ranks. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be a guy. We're going to see UNC in a lot of shootouts again this year, a lot of high-scoring games, and Hamden's going to have an opportunity this year to to put up monster statistical numbers. And then right now, you know, Drake May is obviously the one who garners a lot of attention, but, what you know, if May declares like we all expect him to, you know, their offense could morph a little bit. It, it could be Hampton being the guy who's kind of leading that offense next year in the ground game, you know, less so than all the attention Drake Mays getting. So, you know, he's the guy uh, to keep a close eye on for sure. Let's spin this to the NFL side of things, right? When we do these recap shows, you know, we, we do it for week two of the college football season, but we take a look at week one of the NFL season. And then next week, week three to college, week two of the NFL we, we're going to put an S to S team in a week for the rookies in terms of week one. And at the quarterback position was Anthony Richardson. I think he played way above even my expectations of an Anthony Richard, you know, supporter, 223 yards, 24 of 37 and a touchdown, throwing the ball, another 10 rushes and 40 yards and a, and a rushing touchdown there. You know, the Colts are going up against a good team, Jacksonville. So an impressive performance by Anthony Richardson, even in the loss. At the running back position, not a lot of the rookie running backs really, you know, hit the ground running. But Bijan Robinson, 16 total touches, uh, you know, about 83 yards and a touchdown. Lost a lot of work to Tyler Algier, but still, you know, helped Atlanta get the, the victory and the reception. Uh, the ability to make people miss in the open field. That was a special play showing Bijan's special skills. At the wide receiver position, Puka Nakua, 10 catches, 119 yards. Really impressive performance. I think about a fifth round rookie or even sixth round rookie, uh, right out of the gate. I know no Cooper Cup, a really impressive performance by Nakua. And then Luke Musgrave out of Green Bay, three catches, 50 yards. Jeff, I have a couple honorable mentions, but let's start there. Any, anywhere you want to go with Richardson, Bijan, Puka, or, or Musgrave? Yeah, I, I think, I don't think we're going to have to force. A rookie quarterback on this list every week because we're going to be cycling through the same names. <laughs> but I think it's very worthwhile to highlight when, you know, one of them actually, you know, exceeds expectations. And and I think uh, going up, you know, against Jacksonville, I don't think people gave Andy a good shot. I think Anthony Richardson gave him a great shot. Uh, you know, he is still making rookie mistakes. You see that on the interception. Um, but he's also making plays. He's a playmaking um, quarterback. He's taking that to the NFL. It's translating on the NFL field. This is the type of thing we like to see because, you know, they'll clean up the rookie mistakes with experience, but you, you don't just like develop playmaking ability out of nowhere. And when you see that the, you know, those traits that happened on Saturday on the college football field start showing up on Sunday, that's what this podcast is about, right? Um, you know, I'm, 
a big Michael Pittman fan. So it was great to see that Richardson is going to have the ability to be able to support, you know, players like Michael Pittman, support the fantasy, um, support the fantasy assets there in Indianapolis. So, you know, that's really one highlight we've been excited about on, you know, but really, you know, this isn't like uh looks lost Justin Fields, Trey Lance kind of situation. This is a, you know, some rookie mistakes, but, but kept some poise there in, you know, a debut NFL debut. I, I think that that was, you know, noteworthy and worthy of inclusion on our, um, our list here. Jeff, before you jump to a, a different rookie, I think what we saw in week one was what we talked about night one of the NFL draft, a perfect marriage between Anthony Richardson, the prospect, and Shane Steichen, the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, coming from Philadelphia, the system he created in that first year with Jalen Hurts to give him the ability to be successful and not put too much on his plate. They got out the ball quickly yesterday. Uh, he didn't ask Richardson to do a lot of work group progressions. He catered a system to his strengths right now as and giving Richardson the ability to be successful and then also not put too much on his plate as he's still obviously a young player who needs time to develop to be in the complete player. I think there's, there's always disconnect. It sounds like it should be so obvious, right? But we saw Justin Fields in his first year. We see other quarterbacks and coaches don't seem to be in sync sometimes in what they ask him to do. I think the marriage between Richardson and Steichen is going to lead to him even being more successful statistically in year one than I maybe even thought as a big supporter. And then I think obviously the sky the limit moving forward. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a great point. And I think that's something that we are going to have to start evaluating too when it comes into how do you play dynasty and fantasy, um, you know, the prospects of, you know, what makes a successful quarterback in, you know, grow into a successful quarterback at the NFL level. I still, you know, Trey Lance, I think is the one that we'll talk. We don't we'll talk to, we talked our ear off on Trey Lance, but we, we, we can do a five hour podcast. We'll, I'm we'll talking with my friends, right? It's a big conversation, right? Every, you know, that's like, you know, the buzz of the NF, you know, the last week of the preseason and everything. And, you know, like when you actually dissect, you know, his, his opportunity, he never really got an opportunity. He had one opportunity. It got, you know, it got ruined by the injury and, you know, someone else took the job and then that's, that was your window. You know, that's tragic. Maybe he wasn't good enough. That's, that's totally fair. I'm not watching every practice, but, um, you know, so to be able to take advantage of that opportunity when you get it, um, you know, it's, it's credit to Anthony Richardson. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go straight to an honorable mention because I, I mentioned him last week. I said, he'll stock will never be lower, say flowers. I don't have a stat line in front of me. I think he was just fifty. He was like eight. For, he was like eight for seventy-eight. I'll check it up right there. You, Maybe it was down. He had ten targets. I think he was half of the entire Baltimore offense, basically. You know, everybody else chipped nine in. for seventy-eight. No touchdown, but nine for seventy-eight. Everybody else chipped in. You know, here and there, but you know, I think he had like t I think ten targets was just this. Yeah, I don't know. Remember how many passes Lamar threw, but you know, his target share was well over 30%, 40%. Um, he was the go-to guy in that offense. And, you know, Rashad Bateman, I, you know, I was curious to see how week one would play out. He was a part-time player. He, you know, Rashad Bateman played about a third of snaps. Say Flowers was out there every down earning targets. I, 
I think he is just going to sprint away, you know, at with, you know, the headline pass, you know, pass catching receiver out of this core, you know, with Mark Andrews there being at the tight end position. Yeah, listen, Zay Flowers, if it wasn't for Puka Nakua putting that performance in a victory on, uh, I think it was on the road against Seattle, uh, you know, without Cooper Cup, Zay Flowers was my guy. Jordan Addison was my other honorable mention. Really strong performance from him. I think it's wide receiver class. It's going to be fun. We might not have a lot of names to rotate for the quarterback position for the rookie team in a week, but I think we're going to have a, a lot of names to kind of rattle through at the wide receiver position, uh, you know, and then bring up some new names here or there just in terms of significance. It's not just going to be statistical for teams in a week because it'll probably be, would probably be, be John most weeks at the running back position. Uh, but yeah, impressive performance by Zay, by Addison. Uh, it was great to see the tight end so early involved, like Musgrave, every snap player almost. Sam Laporta, pretty much every snap player. Uh, these, these guys are getting thrown right into the fire. Uh, we'll see, you know, Dalton Kincaid's usage, you know, I'm sure we'll, uh, circle back to him next week or in the coming weeks when, when the Bills aren't playing on Monday Night Football, you know, and, and Puka Nagoa, listen, there was, there's some people who are really big fans of his. Uh, all preseason, we're hyping him up, and and I was, you know, I got him in a couple spots, but I was just like, eh, you know, maybe we're going a little bit overboard, you know, first week, you know, you know, rookie, you know, mid day three, not even early day three, but really impressive performance from him right out of the gate, uh, you know, to kind of steal the spotlight from Zay Flowers, who didn't make the team for week one, but Bukunako goes out there and catches over a hundred yards, so that that was pretty impressive there pretending he's cooper cup basically but i you know to draw one more parallel there people were not on cooper cup as a draft prospect and as you know as a player right i think it was slow and you know i think he had the three cone drill but you know he didn't have this insane athleticism or this this typical draft profile right i i, I can't even remember where cooper cup was drafted i it strikes me that he was a day two pick but you know he might have even been like top around four just saying, just saying, like, you know, I, I think Cooper Cup is a superstar and he'll be back and he'll be doing his thing. But for right now, Puka Nakua is giving a glimpse into what the post Cooper Cup life looks like. Yeah, that that's for sure. Uh, and let's let's close out the night with, with a little bit of a dynasty stock report. And and I thought that maybe we the, the way we would maybe handle dynasty stock report this year is just like the big headlines that we think maybe lead to some movement in terms of dynasty, whether it's up, down, or something like that. So the things that stood out for me, and then Jeff, you can kind of run with any one of these to kind of get it started. J.K. Dobbins, tears his Achilles, feel awful for the young man, you know, who's going to have every opportunity in his, you know, final season there on his contract in Baltimore to put up, put together a really strong year. Now his season is done. Another major injury to a guy that already had injury concerns. You hope this is not the end of the road. For J.K. Dobbins ever being fantasy relevant again, uh, DeAndre Swift down, Kenneth Gainwell up. What we saw in the Philadelphia backfield this past you know week was, was stunning. Rashad Penny, you know, inactive. DeAndre Swift gets one carry, and Kenneth Gainwell the workhorse. Uh, panic mode for Drake London and Kyle Pitts. Are we there yet? Cam Akers stock down. Is he losing the job or the lead job to Kyron Williams in, in that Rams offense? And then I, I think we have to acknowledge that Tua just continues to impress. He was on his way for maybe an MVP season last year if he didn't get, go down with the concussion. And right out of the gate, I don't even know what his final, I didn't even write down his final stat line. 
Did he hit 500 yards or, or, or really close to it? Uh, but, but like, you know, for something, you know, to his stock up, we always see the top of the quarterback ranks, those guys that are mobile and add the, the component in the run game. Two doesn't offer that, but with these duo of wide receivers, that might be the one exception to, to, to what we're used to now in terms of the quarterback position. I don't know if he even needs to do much with his, with his legs when he's playing with Tyree Kill, who seems ungovernable. Un- unguardable and Jalen Waddle and his big playability. So I, I think it's got to be stock up on two. If he can stay healthy, I think he's going to put up some staggering statistics. Well, I mean, you know, I got to the bar for the afternoon games and uh, that Miami LA uh, Chargers one was about as fun as it gets. And I think you pretty much, uh, you know, have the the exact ending you'd expect for a Chargers game. Um, you know, you had Tua Herbert, you know, going back to back in the draft. You know, I, I think you mentioned it. You know, he's not going to, you know, bring a lot on his legs, but we already have, you know, players like Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, you know, considered up there in an elite tier of quarterback. And that's the, you know, sort of that's that's where Tua can cement himself with good play this year, contract extension, uh, long term commitment, you know, from the franchise. Look. I have been as big of a J.K. Dobbins fan as I think there is out there. And every single time we've seen him on the field playing, he's been great. He was the running back room out there. I, I, you know, I think he was dominating touches until he went down and didn't even look like, you know, your typical Achilles injury. I'm, I'm was in denial until like, you know, it was pretty official today. But you know, just holding out hope that maybe it was something not as bad as it as it was. But I don't really see. I don't really see the path, you know, for J.K. Dobbins' NFL future, and and it, it like pains me to say because of the talent that he is. But we have seen these Achilles injuries, you know, rob players of their careers. Dobbins was already on a precipice with his previous injury track record as well. He doesn't have a contract next year with Baltimore. He was, you know, fighting for that. And you, for good reason, you see why. If, if Baltimore paid him, you'd think he'd be able to work himself back into the rotation next year. But now, that what is his future now? And yeah, it's probably I, a league minimum deal next year as a fourth string running back to start on the depth chart. And He's then going to have to go the Deontay Foreman route yeah. back into it. And I, hopefully I would love to see J.K. Dobbins back on an NFL field. He will be someone I'm rooting for, but I'm going to be rooting from the sidelines with him on somebody else's roster at this point, and it, which pains me to say. Um, you know, speaking of Achilles injuries, Cam Akers, right? You know, he had that stretch to last season. And one of the biggest things I was watching this week was was his utilization right because you have the buzz in the offseason saying that cam Akers is going to be the guy right he is going to be the workhorse he's going to get the touches they need him to be successful for their offense to be successful and we saw him start the game but if you remember last year kyron williams gets hurt on the kickoff and it comes out after the game that the team was expecting Kyron Williams to be a big part of their plans. And his, you know, his injury really, you know, derailed, you know, what they thought of his, you know, evolve involvement with the team. 
anything. And so keeping that in the back of my mind, I was just wondering how much, how much does, does Kyron Williams get in this backfield? Is it a split? Is it a 60 30, you know, 60 30? Is it a 50 50? It looks like Kyron Williams is potentially still the coach's favorite, right? Cam Akers started the game, but Kyron Williams was in there on goal line situations. Kyron Williams was there on pass catching situations. I honestly think, and I, and here's what I'm toying with, is that Kyron Williams is in a vacuum the guy you want to own in that backfield, even in a redraft setting. Like, would I drop Cam Akers for Kyron Williams? Because it certainly seemed like the Rams would rather have given Kyron Williams the ball much of the time. Jeff, I know Cam Akers got 22 carries, but they were in clock-killing mode most of that second half. The stat that I think speaks volumes of what you're talking about. I'm going to put you on the spot. There was 30 running back snaps in the first half. You want to take a guess what the ratio for Kyron Williams to Cam Akers is? In the I guess 60-30 yeah. the other direction, right? 60-30 Kyron would be kind of what I would what I'd guess. It was worse. 26 to 4. 26 plays Kyron Williams was on the field to 4 for Cam Akers the whole first half. Second half, Akers played a lot more, ended up with 20-something carries. The Rams were comfortably ahead. I think we know if it's a straight running situation, yeah, they're probably going to use Cam Akers. I think he's more of a natural runner. But I think that first half usage speaks volumes of what they think or what they want to be from their running back in a close game. I think they might like the versatility of Kyron Williams more than Cam Akers. We've seen this team be down on Cam Akers in the past. Is it one of those situations again, or do they just like Kyron Williams? But 26 to 4 is a staggering ratio to start your season. So the the, the takeaway, Cam Akers is not a 70-80% you know, share of the backfield player that people thought they might get when they were drafting, right? They thought like, like a Joe Mixon kind of thing, right? Like he's going to get all of the work. A Nick Chubb type thing. They're going to get all the work. Sure, there's a backup. Got to spell them sometimes. That is not the case. I don't know. You know, we've seen LA be comfortable with that type of situation before. And if that comes to be, it's going to be Kyron Williams. It's not going to be Cam Akers. I think that ship has sailed for Cam Akers. Yeah, I, I, I think I think he's going to be another guy that's going to be on a new team next year. And what does he look at? When and what kind of contract? I don't think Cam Akers is getting the David Montgomery contract of like three years, $18 million. I think he's going to be selling for a one-year deal maybe for like $4 million or like a Rashad Penny kind of or, Yeah, that, that's where I think we're headed here. And like I said, J.K. Dobbins will be talking about a guy who's probably signing for the league minimum. And who knows? It might be like late in training camp next year, right? Like who knows how long the Achilles is going to take for him to come back with all the other injuries he's had in the past. So, you know, really unfortunate for all of those guys. You know, also in that draft class was DeAndre Swift. So maybe that's the natural thing there to go next. They gave, they made the trade. It sounded like he was going to be heavily involved. We didn't know to what level because they had, you know, three guys there. But it was the Ken Gainwell show. I, I don't see a scenario where we look at it right now and say we'd rather have DeAndre Swift than Ken Gainwell. I think if that's the case, we're holding on. To, to what we thought of DeAndre Swift years ago. He's now in his fourth NFL season. The Lions didn't want him. 
they they made that blatantly clear, giving him away for like a fourth round pick in a couple of years. He is now what we've built him up to be. Exactly. Yeah. It's the same thing with with you know Cam Akers at this point. Is we have to to adjust, and I I think all three of those players, like if you can get if you can get anybody who believes they're still in the top thirty of the dynasty running back landscape, anything. It's probably smart to get out because you're right. I think you'd rather Kenny Gainwell now. I think you'd rather Kyron Williams now. J.K. Dobbins is just a sad story of you know injury taking away his his career. But you're probably just you know if you if we were to take this into a dynasty rankings, you know all of the backup running backs at this point, you know would be ahead of those players, you know or the quote-unquote backups. The only thing that was shocking for me for Philly was that Kenneth Gainwell had that large of a share of the work. I thought we'd see much more of a rotation, um, but I think Gainwell's stock way up because Philly's usually had a diverse set of roles and they've kind of had specialists fill those roles. And Kenneth Gainwell, don't forget how he closed out last year in the playoffs at being the go-to trusted guy for Philly as well. So he's essentially eating everybody else's lunch, accumulating all of the roles that the the coaches trust him to do. And that is, we just don't normally see that from the Philly backfield. And so if he takes over the trusted player for more roles and more roles as the season goes on, that is, you know, the league back in one of the league's top offenses. And I think his, his stock is going, is skyrocketing. Yeah. And, you know, I never remember after one week of an NFL season, I feel like I have to do some drastic dynasty overall ranking updates. So like, uh, that's my goal, like to see the, because I think they're significant. I think they're significant. JK Dobbins has got to go to like 60 or 70 if we're being brutally honest. And now, and I was right there with you, a big JK Dobbins guy, but for him not to be somewhere in like the 60 or 70 range is, is just being naive based on his injury history. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have a home for next year in terms of like, he doesn't have a contract, like, you know, maybe they let him rehab, you know, and they give him, you know, like uh, the league minimum or whatever. But like, he's not even, it's a really weird spot to be in, to be a free agent and then coming back from this kind of injury. So it's going to be interesting. Final thing, Jeff, any thoughts on the Atlanta guys? Is it time to hit the panic mode or the run game is working and we, it, we're just going to have to ride this out until they get into some different type of games environments. I'm going to, be patient. I'm not going to have high expectations for this year. I'm going to buy talent where it's there. I don't think Desmond Ritter is necessarily going to be a high-volume quarterback. Um, that doesn't change my opinion of Drake London or Kyle Pitts as players. Um, but it does give us maybe something to think about about breakout years. Yeah, I, I think, listen, I think I think we all got to take a couple steps back on the Kyle Pitts, and I think we put him up really high. And he just might not be the guy we thought. And I'm not sure Atlanta even views him that way, the way they kind of use him. But I, I'm still willing to take a wait-and-see approach. I don't think Ritter's going to be the quarterback next year, so we'll see how that plays out. And next week, we're going to be talking about the New York Jets, I think, a little bit, because I don't know if you had eyes on your phone or the TV, Jeff. Aaron Rodgers' first, first drive of the game goes down, with appears to be a serious injury, Oof. went to the medical tent. The card had to come get him out of the medical tent. The early reports, so I saw ankle, I threw foot. I mean, who knows what's going on there, but that's going to have real big ramifications for this year 
And eventually, we've, we've uh, seen what Zach Wilson you know, brings to the table. We'll, we'll see if any tutelage from Aaron Rodgers changes that um, at all. Hey, at least if we're talking about the Jets and not the Giants, right? I mean, I don't think yeah. there was anything to talk about. I mean, there was one team that played on Monday night last last uh, night. Uh, I, <laughs> not to really dig it in there. For I mean, I, I've never, I, I can't remember in my adult life me ever not watching a Giants game start to finish without like a major family um, an, uh, event or something like that going on. But last night, I, I threw in the towel. I had to be up at 5 a.m. I threw in the towel in the third quarter because it, it was an embarrassment. But we will go I should have thrown in the towel for, for Daniel Jones soon, yeah. too. Yeah. Out of yeah. game. That game was lost. That was, know, one of the, from, that was from the first quarter. Yeah, that was one of the worst uh, games of Dable. I, no reason for, for Daniel Jones to be taking those heads late into the game. That it's okay, man. I... I I think San Francisco. I expected San Francisco to come out flat this last week as well because that has been their thing that doesn't define a season, right? No, nope. and we'll say there's a lot of teams come out flat. It doesn't define a season. How do they do the next two three games? Let's see what, how they rebound. Absolutely. So, guys, hope you're enjoying these in season recap shows. We're we're keeping it tight, trying to get through. You know, a good amount of players, but also not overwhelming and, and not that we're interested in the same names from week to week. If you're liking the content that we're supporting and providing, please support us. Go over to the website, SS Football. Uh, check out the premium content tab. And for $9.99, all the new notebooks are out. 2024 notebooks are out. Get access to our scouting notebook. It has like 90 detailed player profiles, our, our rankings notebook, all our different rankings. And then in April, the draft projections notebook. You can't purchase that. At least rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Get over to YouTube, uh, subscribe there as, as we're trying to build that up there as well. So another college football week in the books, NFL week one concluding tonight on behalf of Jack, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano and myself. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.